I'm Victoria, and this podcast is all about running, marathon training, and run coaching. It is packed with useful tips to help you grow as a runner. I am a 13-time Boston qualifier and mom of two who started running as an adult. I learned a lot on my journey, and in 2014, I launched an online run coaching business to help other runners. Now, we employ several run coaches and are one of the largest online run coaching companies. We teach you the secrets to reaching your potential in the sport of running. We give real talk discussing personal stories of injuries, setbacks, and PRs. Think of this as a conversation with serial marathoners who share the lessons that we learned along the way. This is the Run for PRs podcast. Stopping on your runs. Stopping your watch on long runs can be something that we see a lot as coaches on Strava, and this is something that we obviously have to do sometimes, right? We've all been there during a group run. There's a great water stop set up, and we pause our watch, we gulp down some water, and then we start chatting away only to realize it's been three to five minutes and we have to get back out there and continue our long run. There may be other times we have to stop our watch as well. Maybe we just need a quick second to regroup. Maybe we need to quote unquote catch our breath. Um, Other times there could be other reasons like you have to go to the bathroom. There's a stoplight. So there's a lot of reasons why you might stop on a run. And so we're going to kind of break down the different scenarios and kind of talking about how can we look at that stop time overall in your long run and try to reduce it so that we're kind of doing as minimal as possible while being realistic, right? So we know that things happen. And so we're going to talk about maybe breaks that are are good and maybe breaks that are a signal that there could be something else going on wrong with your training and we want to kind of address those things before it uh, sneaks up on us for race day. And we've chatted a lot about this topic before and I know it can kind of be a little bit controversial with people and sometimes it can ruffle some feathers. So we are by no means like pointing fingers or saying like you can't stop on your run, but we just really want to like educate people about what happens physiologically when you do stop um, on your runs and maybe talking about like stops that aren't really going to impact you that much physiologically and just kind of being aware of what are these physiological changes that are going to happen once your heart rate gets down um, and those sort of things just so that you can be aware and be educated because really knowledge is power and so sometimes you can make those choices for yourself better informed decisions once you kind of know um, the gist of it there. And there are some people out there who have really aggressive time goals or they just really want to reach their potential in a time-based manner. So if you're someone who's like, I really want to qualify for Boston and you're really right on that cusp, um, you know, every second does count. And as someone who's ran like a 301.08 marathon, every second does count. And when I actually crossed the finish line of that marathon, you know, 301, um, I went and I looked at my Strava and Strava will show you like your moving time only. Um, And so if I wouldn't have stopped to go to the bathroom on this marathon, I would have been under that three hour mark. And so I did keep it pretty short. But again, you can see that, you know, on race day, that clock isn't going to stop and it does kind of sting a little bit. But just knowledge is power, right? So if you're someone who is like, it's totally going to break your heart if you don't hit that time goal right on the nuts, maybe this is just something to be aware of. For me personally, I honestly, it didn't really crush me that much because like I knew what I did out there and I knew that I needed to stop. And so sometimes you just need to understand that, you know, things happen and it's not, you know, the end of the world. And we're not saying like, oh, you know, you you should never stop. It's like, you just kind of have to make those decisions for yourself. And if you're someone like me who typically like, I do stop during the last three marathons I did. I stopped at least once to, you know, quickly um, go to the bathroom, but I was still able to PR in the last two that I did. And you're still able to, to run fast times. And I think just knowing that that can be part of your training, right? So if you plan to 
stop on race day, you kind of want to know like how long that's going to take you and how to set your time goal based on the fact that you might have to stop to go pee or you might need to stop to walk through the water stops. And that's why we're talking about this topic so that you can be informed come fall. You can say, okay, um, how long am I going to be stopped out there doing these various things? Like if I stop to go pee, if I stop through a water stop, how much of a buffer like do I really need or how much of a delta do I need between what my time goal is and like how much of that extra time that I'm going to be stopped. And so if you're someone like me, when I went into my last marathon, I, I knew that I could physically probably get a sub three, but like it would be, you know, a really big stretch goal. Um, so I wasn't like heart set on it. I was like, okay, maybe. And then obviously calculating in, okay, I did stop a little bit or it wasn't like the greatest day, you know, then being okay with, okay, maybe I'm not going to hit that exact time goal. And so you have to really be realistic with, if you plan to do some of those stops, how it's going to impact your time goal. So anyways, getting into like the gist of this podcast, some of the questions we're going to be answering is what is the purpose of a long run? Um, we're also going to be talking about like what happens Uh, physiologically when your heart rate kind of goes down and those sort of things. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about practicing water stops and how that can come into play. And then we're going to talk about like, what if you just don't really care about this stop time? We're going to talk about how you can um, use this information, even if you don't care too much about your stop time. And the whole idea of should you just let your watch run or should you be pausing it? those sort of things. And then we're also going to talk about, um, can you still run a marathon even if you take these long breaks? What if it's super hot and what are some ways you can split up your long run, you know, maybe into two runs if you're someone who likes to take these breaks in between. So Jason, going to like the physiology of everything, I know that's kind of more your background here. What is the purpose of that long run? Yeah. So the long run typically is, you know, the goal is to stay consistent. So keeping your heart rate at this, you know, um, elevated range, um, hopefully it's still in your easy, um, you know, your easy heart rate range. So for most people that might be like around 150 or below. Um, and so you want to kind of keep it there. You don't want drastic spikes or decreases because, you know, think about running a race. If you're doing a half or a full, your heart rate is going to be kind of maintaining that same rhythm and maybe increasing as you go. So the thought there in your long run is to keep it consistent um, so that it simulates the race. Um, So, you know, if we're talking about the long run specifically, I know that, um, you know, sometimes we might be tempted to stop throughout the run, whether that's to get water or to socialize or, you know, whatever it is, maybe it's to stretch or to catch our breath. Um, We really want to try to limit the stops as much as possible and try to minimize if we do stop to just keeping it under like 30 seconds. So you mentioned going to the bathroom. Obviously, that's one that you can't really control. Um, But a lot of those other ones you can control. And so really being kind of mindful of how those add up over time. And so you can use those features like on Strava, looking at the elapsed time versus the moving time to kind of gauge how much stop time you're having. Um, and this this was sort of new to me um, as I started uh, getting a GPS watch. I never really thought about it before, um, but really it does it does play a huge role because if you run all your long runs, you have like 20 minutes of stop time. That's really not going to translate well into like your race performance. Right. And I just think it's important to, to understand like what you're analyzing. Right. <laughs> and so for some people, it's like you'll see on Strava that they take 20, 25 minutes of, of stop time, but yet then their long run pace is significantly faster, right? And so that's like a different methodology of training. I think some people train in that manner um, for a variety of different reasons, but you have to understand that sometimes these people are taking upwards of an hour of stop time and then they're doing majority of their long run at marathon pace. And so if you're having like this built in rest, um, it's gonna be easier on the body. So likewise, going to how we train and how we talk a lot on this podcast is we're talking more about like that 80-20 method. And so for the majority of our long runs that we're having our athletes run, um, we're just gonna be going at an easy, slow pace. So if you are taking those prolonged stops kind of like what we talked about earlier, where you're doing, you know, upwards of 30 to 60 minutes of stop time within a two or three hour long run, you may be not getting the same benefits as, uh, as you think you are, right? So when you stop for probably over five to 10 minutes um, in a single stop, at least that's what it would be for me, your heart rate is no longer elevated. And so you're no longer in the aerobic um, zones, and that's going to 
play a role in how your fitness improves. So every time that we do a run, it's gonna have a purpose. And for those people who are maybe training using a different methodology, such as doing their long runs, the majority, you know, at a, at a faster pace, and they're taking these prolonged stops, I just think it's really important that we don't play the comparison game because I know a lot of the times on Strava, like I'll see yeah. people who I'm like, whoa, man, they crushed that long run. And then I go and looked at a, the elapsed time and I'm like, okay, well, they're doing something a little bit different here. Um, and so it's trying not to compare. And I think we also have a lot of athletes that we coach where maybe in the past, that's kind of like the approach that they took to marathon training. It was, you know, let's kind of go out there, do most of everything at marathon pace with these prolonged recovery breaks in between. And it is, it's a different stress. Um, and it's just a completely different methodology of training. And that whole process is thinking, let's train the body to basically run at marathon pace in intervals with mm. rest. And that can work, but I find that there's better ways to improve endurance. And we kind of follow more of the philosophies of Jack Daniels and Hansen's method. And while marathon pace is important, I don't think that the cornerstone of your weekly mileage should be this long run where you're doing like intervals right. because what you're training your body to do in this case is taking those breaks and and it can be hard to get out of that habit first of all but second of all it's also a lot harder on the body if on the weekend you're doing 16 miles at marathon pace even if you are taking those rest periods in between and so what we're asking is hey maybe let's just slow down the pace a minute or two mm -hmm. per mile and be a little bit more continuous with keeping the heart rate elevated and doing more time on your feet, building that aerobic fitness at maybe a lower intensity. And that's why it's important to not stop for super prolonged periods of time because the idea is that you're keeping your heart rate kind of in that zone too for the majority of the workout. And it's gonna look a lot different than someone who's maybe doing more like this interval-based marathon pace work. Yeah, we do see a fair amount of athletes that maybe start working with us or they come to us um, without, you know, having any experience working with a coach or following much of a plan. And one of the, you know, the common themes that we see is maybe they're doing a lot of their long mm -hmm. runs at that goal marathon pace or just slightly slower than. So it becomes like a gray zone run. And, you know, within that, they maybe are stopping quite a bit. So, you know, if you take a, a run, let's say their marathon pace is like 830. So they're doing mo most of the runs at like 840 or 845 pace for those long runs. But there's 15 minutes of stop time, you know, in there. I, I would definitely encourage them over time to let's see if we can get your average pace to be up upwards in the 915, 930 range and see if we can really minimize the stop time. See if we can get that number below, you know, three, four or five minutes. And so this should be something that's kind of um, discovered over time and, and practiced in a way that. Um, is going to help you, um, you know, not only reap the benefits, but just get out of that bad habit, right? And so maybe it is paying attention to the data and the metrics. Um, and then if you're someone that has always kind of just paused your, or just started walking when you needed to, like take a break randomly during long runs because it's hot or whatever it is, um, then, you know, in order to improve on that, we need to um, provide you with like some different tools, right. To help break that habit. And so maybe it's having a structured run, walk method. So maybe mm -hmm. it's uh, walk for 30 seconds every 10 minutes or whatever it is. And then hopefully over time you realize like I can eliminate those walk breaks. I really don't need it anymore because really your heart rate's not going to drop that much in those 30 seconds. So, um, but what we're doing is we're fixing that mental need of needing to stop. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's so many different ways to train and I followed someone in the past who she was like a run walker, um, but she was like pretty fast. Right. So she had like qualified for Boston using the run walk method. So she was doing like three minutes of running 30 seconds of walking, uh, but she could still run like under eight minute pace, which I found really interesting. So it's like if that's what you want to do, definitely continue doing that. But um, just listening to some people's goals that we coach, I, I hear often, like, I want to do the whole thing without walking. So if that's your goal, I think slowing down that pace and getting to a point where within the training, you don't feel like you need to, to stop your watch to take a little <clears throat> breather or that, that sort of thing within a long run would be great. And sometimes that means going a lot slower than we're used to going. Um, so if you're kind of used to taking those little breathers, quote unquote, or, 
where you just feel like, oh, this is too much. I need to need to like stop and walk. Maybe we should check the pace a little bit and go even slower. And I know that can be one of the hard things about this is to adapt that mindset of, okay, I'm going to go as slow as I need to in order to not have to stop and walk. Um, and going up hills that could be, you know, a lot slower than what you're used to seeing paces that maybe you've never seen before on long runs. I know when I ran my first marathon, um, it was around like four hours, 10 minutes. And I did a lot of my long runs at 8:45 pace. And I going into that race thought, you know, I'm in shape to probably run 8:30 pace or a little bit faster for the marathon. Um, but definitely did not, uh, achieve that. But now as like a 301 marathon, even when I ran 311 at Boston, I just kind of went out there with a the mindset of, whatever pace, you know, feels right. I did a lot of long runs around the nine minute pace range. So some of these long runs that I was doing was actually slower than when I ran, um, like a, like a four hour plus marathon. Um, even though it's like I was running times an hour faster, my training paces maybe were slower. And so you really have to kind of challenge that mindset of having rules for what your pace kind of can't be because it's not about, Oh, I have to run this pace. It's about a feeling. It's about an effort and it should feel really, really easy. So zone two work is going to be stuff that just feels like super easy. Like you could sing a song, um, like you could breathe out of your nose, like you can really zone out. You don't have to focus on anything. And I know this can be challenging to make that transition, but, um, it can really help you go a long way with, avoiding those stops and sometimes when you're having to stop because the effort feels too hard you're actually working in the wrong zone anyways so we want to make sure that we're not turning our easy runs or our easy long runs into marathon pace runs or like threshold runs and being really cognizant of when does that effort start to feel a little bit too hard and then pulling back and allowing ourselves to stay in that zone too yeah, it's fine if you're incorporating the run walk method, you know, let's say you're building endurance or you're, you know, kind of experimenting with increasing long runs. Um, but if you're someone that's sort of trapped in that that kind of bad habit where you just take breaks when you feel tired, mm-hmm. and like you said, it's probably a sign that you're working in the wrong zone. Um, but a long run that's an easy effort shouldn't feel, you know, like your breathing is heavy where you need to stop to catch your breath. If it is, then, I mean, you could be, you might be sick, you might be pushing the pace, right. whatever it is, right? Maybe it's really humid outside. So yep. therefore we want to adjust the effort. And um, and then when we talk about like doing workouts too, so a little bit shorter distances, um, you know, there's ways that you can manipulate the recovery to really um, sort of, I guess, limit the amount of time that you're walking. And then if you get really good at doing it during your workouts and you have good control there, then think how that's going to translate to the the longer runs when you're actually able to slow down. You're going to be mm-hmm. mentally able to just maintain the pace and control it. Um, so for example, if you're doing a speed workout, let's say you're doing 400 repeats. Um, you know, obviously there's, uh, that's a faster interval workout. And so you may feel the need to walk a little in between, right? And so what I encourage athletes to do is if you're used to walking the entire time in between or stopping, maybe you try to walk for half of the distance instead, and then you start an easy jog. So that way you're still teaching your body and your mind that it's possible to recover at an easy zone one effort. Right. And I think that's really an interesting tidbit as well. Thinking about that walking recovery, um, because sometimes it's like you feel like you can recover faster if you do do the walk breaks and if you have a shortened recovery period sometimes it's like okay I'm just going to do whatever I need to do in between to recover and that's kind of what I tell my athletes is whatever you need to do to recover in between don't worry if it's a run or a walk because I'd rather someone be on the cautious side and walk it and then feel like they can hit the next interval then okay I'm going to jog it and they have an issue you know going really slow with the jog so they end up going like too fast and then they're not fully recovered for that interval so I really like people to focus more on the interval itself and less on oh what pace do I need to recover at and if you need to walk that's fine um but you know within a long run yeah I, I think it is a good point just to to ask yourself about the effort and if you are going to be incorporating those walks I don't think there's anything wrong with that but I think it's really important to train the way that you plan to race um or just to be aware of how you are going to approach the the race um so the first time I did an ultra marathon I knew in my head it was going to be hilly so I was just going to walk every single hill from the first mile onward. And a lot of people, maybe I looked a little weird at the beginning of the race doing that because most of the people around me at the pace we were running were definitely not doing that. 
Um, but that's the other thing to keep in mind. If you do stop to walk, so when I was in that ultra and I stopped to walk up all of those hills, it's not a time to like pause the watch because you just kind of let it run. So if you are someone who is incorporating like the run walks, we're just gonna let that watch kind of run so that we know like what pace overall we're we're hitting and what pace we can expect for time goals in the fall. Because if you are incorporating like a run walk, let's say you even live in a hilly area, um, and you're training for something long. Like I think a lot of my athletes, I say, you know, if you, if it's hot out and you're feeling fatigued, let's walk these super steep hills and just kind of get into that habit of doing that. And if that's how you plan to also race, then we kind of have an idea for what sort of pace we're going to be slowing down to on the hills compared to what we normally do. And you're going to have an idea for how to attack those hills in the race versus doing something brand new for the first time on race day that you've never done before. So I think doing the run walk method can really help you stay out of those higher zones. So if you start your run and there's a bunch of hills at the beginning and you're trying to like maintain a certain pace and you're not allowing yourself to walk, uh uh-oh, what if you hit like zone four, zone five early on in that long run, it's gonna cause you to bonk later. So I think it's good to just Hey, if you feel like the effort's a little bit higher than it should be, you can definitely, I I actually encourage people to walk uphill so that they can maintain that zone two and they're not pushing it so much that they're, you know, gonna bonk later in the run. We wanna keep everything really, really easy effort. But when you do that, it's really important that we just leave that watch run, um, let the pace be what it is, and don't don't worry about what it's gonna look like um, on Strava, that sort of thing. It's gonna look really great you're gonna feel strong as a result of this but don't feel like you need to kind of like hide or cover up any sections that you're walking if that makes sense right yeah that's a great example of a time to go off script right and just kind of if you're doing a long run and you're going to be conserving energy walk the hills Um, if you're coming back from like an injury or something too that's a great great thing to keep in mind and just let the watch go because you are accumulating distance and you want to make sure you know what kind of that average pace was and so um, you know, I've re- recovered from a fair amount of injuries where I come back and I do a lot of run walks and I realize that those 30 to 30 second to one minute walks in between, that really doesn't slow down my pace as much as mm-hmm. I thought going in. No. Um, and so it's kind of nice to just maybe even like hit the lap button if you want to kind of separate them out. So that way it's very easy to see like this is the section I was walking, you know, and I can see the pace differential. Um, so that way you can actually compare the pace, mm-hmm. you know, of the time you were running versus walking. Yeah, I do think it's really interesting how it all kind of like averages out to be a fast pace. I mean, I did an interval workout um, the other day, like where I was going faster than 5k stuff, like it was really, really quick stuff. And then I was walking on some of the recoveries just because that's that's how I do a lot of my um, sub threshold work. Like when I'm doing stuff that's really fast, I like to um, do some walking recoveries in between. But the average, and I just let my watch run, right? Um, so my recoveries were very, very slow because I was walking, but the overall pace of the run, so I was like, geez, that's still really fast for doing all these like walking recoveries, not pausing my watch, that sort of thing. So I think people would really surprise themselves if they just kind of like let it run. And I think it's better just to be honest with yourself and see, okay, what is, you know, my average overall pace, even including the running. Um, and for that ultra that I did, the, it was only a 50K. But yeah, I think I averaged like 9.0 something or like 9.10 pace and I even kind of like hit the wall a little bit. So that's, I mean, that's with walking a significant portion. It was pretty hilly, so I was walking quite a bit. And so you could still run a pretty fast average pace um, relative to kind of like what what most people think um, when you're incorporating this method. And I think there's been times where, you know, the Stillwater Half Marathon, there's like a wicked hill kind of at the end where everyone ever the top three women because we were all kind of right right next to each other we all walked up the hill we were going like 650 Mm -hmm. pace before that and that was like our average pace for the finish but we walked up a hill because it was so steep that you could literally like hike it more efficiently if that makes sense um and then you were able to get kind of back into your running rhythm but i think you know taking those walk breaks is great but i i I don't think a lot of people talk about it and so there becomes this like stigma attached Mm -hmm. to it for some people and they think oh i'm gonna pause my watch if i'm walking because i don't want it to like affect my average pace or that sort of thing yeah that's a good point about that pace you know and i think that gives you that mental break and it recharges you so that you actually feel like you can continue pushing after that and so that's i think why people do it 
And, you know, I think there is just a lot of, like, um, kind of blurred habits here that happen between, like, shorter uh, workout-type runs and then the long runs. It kind of translates over into the long runs. So if you're notoriously stopping uh, to catch your breath in between workouts, you know, whether it's mile repeats or whatever, I think that a lot of times we we just kind of pick up that habit, right, and we, we apply it to the long runs. But um, it all kind of boils down to, like, what your goals are, what you're trying to accomplish, just really being aware of how your training can – um, you know, how your habits and your tendencies and training might influence the race uh, result, especially for a longer race. Definitely. That's a slower pace. Yep. Yeah, I think it's just important to be looking at the right data, right? So if you're pausing your watch a lot, maybe it's because you're taking walk breaks or, um, for example, water stops, maybe we should get into water stops next. If you're kind of like in a group run setting and, and that's kind of the culture of the group is to take these prolonged um, water stops, which is fine. And, you know, occasionally that's that probably like won't uh, won't be an issue, but if that's kind of the the culture of the running group that you're in, and then you're doing a lot of um, like pushing of the pace and almost like requiring these long rest periods, I think it's good to just kind of assess the whole situation and figure out, okay, is this kind of in line with the rest of my training? So there could be a time and a place where someone is like, I'm just gonna do my long runs at marathon pace with like these long intervals in between. And I've actually like seen it work for some people. Um, but if you're also trying to like follow some of the other things that we talk about, like 80-20 and other approaches to training that we talk about on our podcast, like doing quality workouts twice a week and all those things, it can almost be in opposing to this sort of viewpoint. So. I think you just really need to be careful about some of those group runs. So Jason, how do you help your athletes navigate some of these uh, group runs or do you ever let them incorporate that kind of training? Yeah, I mean, and we used to go to a couple of these and I think if you do it on occasion, it's not as big of an issue, like you said, because then, um, you know, but if you're doing it week in and week out, then that becomes like the tendency is to stop at these um, water stops for five minutes and socialize. But I think you just have to set limits and be aware, like, okay, I don't want my I don't want to give myself five minutes to allow my heart rate to come way down. Um, so basically it's about uh, just being aware and, and being disciplined. And so, um, you know, if you're going to do run walks in the race, in the marathon, maybe maybe you do um, structure it so that you're going to only do it during the water stops. And that's kind of your opportunity to slow down and get your fueling and walk through and then start running again. Um, but in practice and training, you know, we definitely want to be aware of those group runs and how a lot of times there can be a lot of wasted time standing around. So try to really put off the socializing until the end, maybe find a, a person in the group who's going to be your accountability partner where you guys only stop for, you know, that necessary 40 seconds or whatever it is to gather your fueling, get your water, whatever it is, and uh, practice the way you're going to race. So for me, I don't like to stop during the races. I like to grab the water and kind of keep running and practice consuming it while I'm you know, bounding up and down. And so I'll try to train that way as well. And that's one of the reasons why I kind of quit going to those group runs is I'd, I'd rather just do it on my own and kind of plan out my own water stops for that reason. Yeah, I find that most people that we coach and probably just most people in general, they actually do walk through the water stops. That's something that I started to note even during like my pregnancies, I would do half marathons. And as I slowed down, I started to see okay these are this is like once everyone once you hit a certain pace once i slowed down to a certain pace in in races like every single person was walking through water stops um i even now when i ran 301 like i walked through the water stop so i think you can do it efficiently but that isn't to say you're you're not going to be stopping and walking for that long it's it's a quick um five seconds ten seconds and you're back to running and to get from grabbing the water cup, shoving it down your throat, and having water, I mean, it's it's gonna feel very different than if you're used to taking like a five, 10 minute break to consume your water, wait till it's digested a little, and then continue running. Um, I know sometimes people will struggle with like nausea on race day, or they feel really sick, they can't keep the water down, and I think some of that can be back to training your stomach and your gut to have water while it's running and maybe even within a workout right so i will plan out my training so i can get water and i almost try to time myself okay like no more than 30 to 60 seconds right and immediately after finishing the water i will just start running again and it's it's almost like a painful um 
a painful thing to do because you you're you just drank and then now you're trying to like go back to running fast and sometimes if I have a marathon pace workout I'll intentionally get the water like right in between right before I have to start my marathon pace again so that I can get used to what it feels like to just have consumed a significant amount of water on um, on your stomach and then getting right back into marathon pace and I do think that that helps you train your stomach to be able to tolerate consuming liquids on the course and it's really important to remember that dehydration can start impacting your performance um, very negatively very quickly and it just deteriorates it's like a hockey shaped Mm -hmm. curve Um, so you want to make sure that you're able to practice water stops how you will on race day and so whether that's walking or running one thing that they all have in common is that you're consuming liquid and you're getting right back up in a marathon pace within seconds and that's going to be really important so if you are someone that's taking a prolonged water break maybe it's just like a tough tough week of training and you're like i'm over it i'm just in survival mode today i i don't really care about this long run that's fine but you do want to have a couple of long runs or long workouts within your training cycle where you're like okay i'm going to simulate a little bit more Mm -hmm. like a race today and take this one a little bit seriously you might um give yourself a little bit more time that morning so that you can kind of prepare mentally and physically like you would the day of the race. So not rushing out the door right away, kind of getting everything prepared and then mentally trying to say, okay, I'm going to try to go as fast as I can for some of these water stops, this or that. Um, and that way you can look at your lapse time. So let's say you do stop your watch to, to get water or whatever. Then at the end of that sort of race simulation run, you can look at your lapse time and you can see, all right, um, you know, maybe I stopped for this amount of time and maybe that's what you're going to expect on, on race day is, is about half of that time. So you can't expect on race day to necessarily go out and, and be super efficient at doing some of these water stops if, or bathroom breaks even if um, you haven't practiced it ever during training. So you don't have to be like super strict all the time, but I do think there are um, those race simulation runs that you can do that can really help mentally and physically. Yeah, I agree, especially those runs, those long runs that might incorporate like pace work, right? Like marathon pace work. Um, So for me, when I'm writing plans, a lot of times they might occur um, like two weeks out from the race, you know, so if it's a a half or a full, they kind of might have that race simulation run two weeks out. So that's just a good opportunity to go through the morning routine, get your feeling, everything kind of the way you would in preparation for the race. Um, try to get your your water stops to closely assimilate. I know it's not as easy when you're doing your own training because um, on the course a lot of times you can get water and fluids every every couple of miles. But um, you know it's I think it's good to really be mindful of it and uh, it's good mental training as well. And I know the heat can really be a factor. You mentioned having those runs that just feel like awful, right? And you just you're over it. And so you might notice like okay, if it's 80, you're not used to doing the long runs in 80 degrees. You know. Um, what are some ways to, you know, you, you almost have to like plan ahead. Like, what am I going to do? Cause I know it's going to be hot out there today. So I'm going to make sure I'm, I have like extra, you know, extra feeling, extra sodium. I'm wearing sunscreen. I'm wearing light clothing. I'm wearing a hat. So it's like really planning, um, ahead to like, know that, okay, I'm going to do everything I can. And then I'm just going to, uh, not worry so much about the pace. I'll just adjust effort. Right. So I might take an extra walk break every mile or whatever it is. Um, but I think if you have a plan ahead of time, that will help you as well. Definitely. And I know on previous podcasts, we talked a little bit about if it's super hot out to go more off time base. So if you have a two hour long run, let's say, um, go more off of time, how long would it take you? Like, let's say you have 13 on the schedule and that's about two hours normally on like a cooler day, but it's super hot out. Maybe you just try to go for two hours instead of trying to hit 13. So maybe you come up you know, short a little bit on mileage, but your body doesn't really know mileage. It knows time, it knows effort. And so making those adjustments for yourself can really go a long way. And I think that's really like the crux of this whole topic is sometimes we try to force maybe what we were doing in cooler temperatures, or you really, really want to hit those paces. And so maybe you're taking a little bit of extra break so that you can have it look really good when it comes to the garment splits or on Strava or whatever but at the end of the day it's better to just go off of effort and not um not have those extra pauses because sometimes what's happening is that you're working in the incorrect zones kind of like how i referenced before is if you are pushing it and you feel like you need to take those extra breaks you're probably not staying in those aerobic zones you're probably exiting and going maybe into like a threshold zone 
or maybe you're creating that zone two run and you're making it like a zone three or four run. And so we really just want to be cognizant of what we're asking our body to do because again, each run has a purpose. So if your purpose is to go out there and run two hours at a very easy zone two pace and by the end of the run, you're just feeling completely wiped because maybe you let yourself get into like zone three, zone four, and that's going to take longer to recover from than it would just running at that zone two effort. And we just want to make sure that we're training the right um, zones and building the right fitness so that we don't burn out or get hurt. Right. I really love how you um, said that your body only knows effort and time. It doesn't know distance. And, um, you know, it's just such a good reference to, you know, thinking about long runs in general, um, not putting so much pressure on getting to a certain distance. Um, you know, when I was in college and stuff, we would always run based on time. It was never on distance, probably because we didn't have GPS watches, right? So it was just like, you come back in an hour or whatever it was. But, um, you know, you mentioned kind of feeling burnt out. And if you push your long run, that's supposed to be in an easy zone a little too fast because you were kind of just stubborn and it was super hot and you didn't want to, you didn't want to just let your ego go 10 minute pace that day. Um, then what happens? Well, then you're not really fully recovering for that next session that you might have three days, four days later. And so it's really important to just not look at this long run as like the end all be all. It's just, um, there's going to be more of them. And hopefully, um, if it's a rough one, they're not all going to be rough, right? You're going to get, you're going to catch a break at times. You're going to feel a little bit better. Maybe you're more hydrated the next week, or maybe it's a little bit cooler, or maybe there's overcast. And so, um, just not letting one run really affect your mental game either. Definitely. And the other reason that people will stop, um, like there's stoplights, obviously. So you got to be safe. Do yeah. do safety first. You can stop your watch, right? Just being aware is really what, what we're asking. Um, the other thing that will cause people to, to stop maybe for a significant part of their long run, we did a whole podcast episode on this uh, maybe a year ago, but it's, it's the bathroom, right? And I've done 22 marathons. I've stopped... Uh, in four of them to go to the bathroom I pretty much know at the gun when the gun goes off if I'm gonna have to stop or not um and a lot of that's gonna go based on how my training went right so if you're kind of going through every single long run and you're having the same same bathroom issues the same the same thing coming up time and time again um, most likely you may experience the same thing on race day. So even if you're having like one of those race simulation runs and you, and you can't quite get through it without having to go to the bathroom, well, you might end up having that on race day. And it's definitely not the end of the world. Um, it happens, but working with a dietitian can really help. Like, let's say you have some digestion issues or you really just want to like help with nailing down fueling that can often play a big role in how all that um, goes down. And sometimes people just have more sensitive stomach or I know for me after childbirth, it can just be a roller coaster with hormones and all of those things getting back to to normal baseline with your running. And that's really been when um, I experienced the most issues. And so sometimes for those things, it's just like time and consistency will help play play things out. But um, I do think it's it's important to kind of prepare yourself maybe mentally for, okay, how am I going to approach this on race day if it does become an issue? And just realizing like everything's almost a pattern. And so Mm -hmm. um, keeping those things in mind when you're establishing maybe like a time goal or that sort of thing. Yeah. Wow. I can't believe you only stopped that many times. I I think I've stopped more than that. I've only done 10 marathons. Um, Oh, you have? Okay. Yeah. Even when I did my PR at Chicago, I I stopped there around mile six, but I was literally in and out. It was probably like 35 seconds. So I think, um, yeah, I've never had to stop to like go number two during a marathon. So that's a good thing. But uh, I think a lot of people probably do have, you know, one to two minutes during like a marathon. That's pretty average. Um, Usually during a half, I'm pretty good at avoiding stopping, but you just never know. Uh, but I think, yeah, like you said, just just uh, nailing down that nutrition, figuring out like how much you can get away with consuming, um, should you be, or and you should practice, um, you know, those long runs, just like your race, as far as like how t- the timing of your foods, right? Um, your breakfast, your fluids, um, your electrolytes, all of that. And I think that that can really help your body be in tune and try to limit or avoid the, the need to stop during the race as well. Definitely. And then also just being in tune with your body and if you are kind of being cognizant of 
of the time. Sometimes you can kind of get things done a little bit quickly in the race, like you mentioned, every time if you had to stop to go to go pee. Like, you can do it pretty quick if maybe in training you, <laughs> if you've kind of practiced, like, doing things maybe with, like, a sense of urgency. Right. Um, I know, yeah, it's, it's really not that big of a deal. Some people just aren't, they don't care about time that much. So I know, like, even my mom, she'll be like, how do you go to the bathroom so fast during a race? But I just think, um, you know, some people don't have the the super aggressive time goals. And so for those people, it's more about uh, just staying smart, getting in, getting out, and you don't have to, you know, race to, to do some of these things. But that is important to keep in mind. Like, let's say you have a BQ goal, right? So that's something I always like right. to think of is some of these people have these really time-specific goals. Um, keeping those things in mind when you're thinking about pacing plans for your race and maybe how much of a buffer you think you have. And I think it's always really important to remember if you're racing in October that you still, like, let's say you miss your goal or you're just not not 100% confident that you can nail that BEQ goal. Um, maybe, you know, you go for it this fall and maybe you fall a little bit short or maybe you get it, but you don't love that you only had a 30 second buffer. You still have 11 more months to get a bigger buffer and to qualify for Boston because the October race is going to be qualifying you for 2024 Boston. And so these are just things to keep in mind when you're coming up with those um, time goals for the fall is that the Boston qualifying window just opens up in October. And so you have a full year to get a bigger buffer and a lot can happen in a year. I know a lot of the times we show our athlete spotlights and I really feel like the breakthrough tends to happen at about one year to 18 months of consistent training. Like it can go a long way. So don't feel like you have to, you know, this isn't the the last race you'll ever do, right? Yeah, totally. And you know, it's funny when I'm right pacing plans for athletes, I always think of, you know, what is the, the pace that they feel comfortable running? I'll ask them that, like, mm. what pace do you think that you can average? And then I'll always add in a few minutes at the end for a buffer, not only for like the Garmin to be a little bit over, but for those, the chance of having to stop. And so just something to keep in mind too, if you're really diligent and you're trying to hit a certain time goal, you might want to <laughs> think about that added time. And how a lot of times, you know, you come up with 26.2 in your Garmin and you're not at the finish yet, you know? And no, so yeah. I think, uh, you know, if you're getting really into the, like the, the mile splits and the time and all that, you have to sort of, uh, be aware of that, especially if you're stopping. Right. And I think the last couple of marathons I've done, they come up around like 26.4 or 26.45. Um, so that's mm-hmm. going to add, I mean, at the pace I'm going probably like 90 yeah. seconds to two minutes. Um, right. for some people it's going to be maybe a little bit more time. So what I like to do, you know, if you have a Training Peaks account, it's really easy to do this. You can just change um, change the distance to whatever that event is that day to like 26.4 and then whatever your time goal is. And then it's going to just spit out whatever pace it, there you, go. you yep. have to run over that distance and just fiddling around with that. So let's say, oh, you want to be super conservative. Okay, let's pretend your Garmin's going to say 26.5. Then let's see where you kind of end up with those sort of things. Right. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, it's it's really ever going to say 26.2, and that's the last thing you want to have happen is you you start realizing that mid-race and be like, oh, I didn't prepare for this mentally or physically. And even when I ran the 301, I knew that was going to be the case, and so I kind of prepared that if, you know, I wanted to have a shot at the sub three, okay, the pace you really need to be running is probably closer to a 6.45 pace to 6.48. Um, and I figured, you know, even if I was at 6.50, it wasn't going to be fast enough to get under three, um, just because I think the pace for sub three is 6.52. But knowing that Garmin is always measuring a long course, you want to give yourself like five seconds at least um, per mile so that you can kind of get a little bit more of that buffer um, even the same is true with like 5k races, right? So the summer kind of training for 5ks, every time I went into a 5k race, I would say, okay, what's your goal pace with, you know, 3.14, 3.13. So you don't want to be that person where you're like, oh shoot, what do I go off of? You know, the chip time or my Garmin time, mm-hmm. um, or just not 
not kind of preparing for that. So Garmin isn't always the source of truth. Garmin isn't 100% accurate, right? A lot of these courses are USATF certified, and so they've been really measured with a wheel. And so Jason, talk to me a little bit about like the accuracy of that wheel, because I know that you've done like cross country and track, um, and you've had to like measure these things before. And so how does that work? Because I always get a little bit frustrated, right? Like when my Garmin says the course is long when I know it's a USATF certified course. So is it just like human error or do you think more of that as like the watch? Uh, it could be both, you know, it could mm-hmm. be that you're not running the exact same path that right. the wheel was. A lot of times a wheel is going to take every tangent and you know, there's not, there's no one out there with them um, when they're certifying it. So right. if you're out there on the course, sometimes you can't run the tangent as best or you don't know what's coming either. So you might realize, oh, we're gonna curve this way now. and so. Yeah, I think there's some of that. Then there's the watch accuracy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, potentially any sort of like stops that maybe just add on. Um, but yeah, it's very, very interesting. And like, again, it's been weird doing it on a cross country course because I feel like you're on you're on grass and there's right. a lot more turns that happen. But it's probably a lot different. I've never certified a course like on on the road for like uh, road race really. But um, well, I have, but I've used a Garmin. I didn't have a wheel. But yeah, it's just. It's really cool to think about that, but yeah, I'm pretty sure that, you know, if you go out there and do the <laughs> run, run with a wheel, it would be pretty close to, to what they say it is, but. Right. Yeah. I just really think it's an interesting, um, topic. I know Torchlight a few years, they got really off, like it was like 3.03 and then like one other year was like 3.3. Yeah, so sometimes that, you know, okay, the race kind of messed it up. But I think for the most part, if you're doing a 5K, most likely on the garment, it's going to come up anywhere between like 3.0. Anytime it's like less than 3.1, I always get really suspicious. Yeah. I think for 5Ks, <laughs> it's interesting because you, know, you have to look at like the race, how long it's been around, how long have they mm. used the same course? Because sometimes it can take a few years to get to get it right on. Um, you have to, you know, and with Torchlight, for example, they change a course like three times within four right. years. So it was like, you know, you have to work out some of the kinks each year. And especially if you're doing like an out and back section, you have to make sure you're exact. And I think part of the issue there was the cone didn't get put in the right spot, right? Um, a lot of times like the start and finish might be the same as where it was when you measured it. But if, if one little thing is different, mm-hmm. like a cone gets moved or it's just not set up in the right spot, um, then a lot of times it could be, it could throw it off by quite a bit. Um, yeah, and you know, it's just really important to remember that Garmin isn't always like the source of truth. And I know sometimes me and my friend, we go running a lot together and we've done 20 milers and, and just all the distance runs together. And we both have Garmin's. So we're both using a Garmin device. Sometimes we'll get out and it'll be like this 20 miler we did once and we got out and I was like, are we going to turn? Because like my watch right. peaked at 10. We started at the exact same time. Like we were foot in foot. And she goes, oh, I'm not at 10. And I was like, what? Like, I was like, how is this? So I was like, okay, I'm sure in, in a second or two. But no, I mean, it was like, okay, my watch said 10.10, 10, point, or 10.1 when we turned around, wow. which, I mean, it was almost like an, an additional minute. So I'm like, okay. So we turn around, whatever, um, get back to the car. And again, the same issue. She was like, oh, I'm not at 20. I'm like, what is going on? It was just the strangest thing. Um, and then her average pace, it said, was like eight seconds per mile slower than mine. And I, I it just kind of rubbed me wrong because I was like, which one's right? Or is it right in between? So I think sometimes it's like your garment could be wonky. And if you ever maybe do a workout where you're like, oh, I'm not sure if I hit that pace. I think maybe just not reading so much into it because it's like you just you just never know with some of these devices. Yeah, especially <laughs> if you're in like a wooded area. I know there's this loop around our house, this lake. And I know for a fact the watch gets really screwed up when you run through there. And so... You know, I know that run you probably did with Elena. I think that was on a trail where there's some, you know, tree line mm. that covers it. And so maybe it just got off for one of you. But, uh, yeah, that's the thing, too, is, like, especially with Torchlight, if you're in a downtown area where there's uh, high skyscrapers, that can affect the distance as well. But I love the tangent we went off on here with uh, talking about distance and Garmin. But, you know, we have to consider every little – everything that might add up to your finishing time and how – Um, It kind of ties back into um, reaching your goals. (laughs) Right. Well, and I think that also brings up a good point is because, like, I've stopped my watch, you know, before. And I think when you stop it sometimes in those wooded areas or under a bridge or something, 
that's the worst time you can stop it. I've had my Garmin actually like lose satellite completely. And so then when you go to start it back up again, Garmin doesn't even know what you're doing. It's maybe like it's bouncing off all the buildings and then it can really like skew your run. So I just like kind of let it run, especially in those situations. And then just figuring it out later, that sort of thing. But yeah, technology can be, it can be interesting. And sometimes I think about it, it's a little bit funny because if we were training with like a regular old Timex watch, I don't know, like would we be stopping it as much as we as we do? Maybe we would at like stoplights or to go to the bathroom, yeah. but yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Well, um, but yeah, I think you would, but you're going off the number of total minutes, right? That's what matters to right. you. Um, or if you have a route, I guess, that you just want to complete, you're going to be done when you complete the route. But for most of that, it was based on minutes. And so, um, you know, pre-Garmin, pre-all that, you didn't really know how far you were going. You didn't really even care about your pace because you didn't really know the pace. It was all about effort and then minutes. And that goes back to what you said. And if you train that way and you kind of, you know, it's okay to be aware of all this other stuff, but it shouldn't be like the end all be all. Like you should really be dialing into your effort. And I've ran my best marathons and half marathons when I'm really not even in tune with uh, the pace. Like, yeah, I might see it at like a like a half marathon split or a 10K split or something and do the math in my head, crunch the numbers then, but I'm not like worried about each mile split, you know? Yeah, I find that the times where I'm like really obsessed about like what my average pace is for my training runs are typically times where like I don't perform as well in races. And I think living in the age of like social media and Strava, um, there can be that like subconscious thing of, oh, like what is my pace going to look like when everyone sees it or that sort of thing. And and we want to maybe speed up maybe when we shouldn't on our cool down or maybe we want to do... Um, a longer stop time or maybe we want to stop our watch to catch our breath because we don't want walking to be included in our overall time there's so many reasons that maybe people would would pause their watch and then sometimes you just have to ask yourself am i pausing it for me or am i pausing it like to to come off or have like a certain look at my overall workout and that's a question that um i like to kind of ask myself before i pause the garmin because sometimes it's just like you're doing it or I'm doing it like for show. <laughs> and so I just kind of let it run um, unless I'm going to the bathroom or whatever. Um, but yeah, I think this was a useful topic. I know it can be a little bit controversial, but it's good just to kind of go over some of the physiology and some tips for what we do or what we recommend people do to help um, kind of eliminate some of those stop times and then to be able to go into your race with an accurate um, assessment of, okay, what sort of shape am I in and how am I going to pace this thing, um, even if I do plan on stopping, that sort of thing. So if anyone is interested in working with a coach, uh, we would love to learn more about you. You can fill out the form on our website, www.runforprs.com. Again, that's www.runforprs.com. You can get a free seven-day trial. Thanks for tuning in.